0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hi, good morning. My name is Hera, and I have the honor of reading our scripture for today. Um, I'm going to be reading first in English, then in Armenian. I invite you to stand with me for the reading. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. And now in Armenian. chigarenam ت գմնակ ونگ میگشوند میگه که یه میاس نباید کاریک آمدارانی هوا تکین هم ار. یه پک می وشنگ هگاراگورت نرن. ایت هگاراگورت چونه آنونس گاروستی یه صر پروچان آباد سویت نه. یه ودیگه از توضیع وروهدهف. استفاده چمی این کریستوسی هوا دلوش نورک دوافتزی. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So, fam? Surprise, it's me again. Our announcement person wasn't able to make it this morning, so I get to fill multiple roles. Those that don't know me, my name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here, and it is good to see you. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. That's awake for a 9 o'clock crowd. I like it. You guys are killing it. Don't tell the 11. You're better than them. All right. You know, you're not supposed to have favorite children. Don't worry, I'm going to say the exact same thing to them, too. That's okay. Well, we are excited that you are here again. Welcome. Your story is, is, uh, is important to us. We say that because here, one of our core values is that uh, our story is God's story. And we believe that the Bible is actually one overarching love story. It begins with God and his incredible love for us. The Bible actually starts with the words, in the beginning, God. The Bible is actually about God. It's not our story. Jesus is the hero of the story. We rebel. And God's covenant promises of rescue and redemption are then evident in the way that God responds. It peaks, the Bible does, with this dramatic entry of God into humanity. And uh, when Jesus takes on human nature, in addition to his God nature, he's always existed but he takes on human nature in addition to his God nature. And, uh, and this points then to the church's responsibility to carry out God's mission. Because we're a part of the family business, then we have to be a part of God's family mission. And finally, it leads to this conclusion that God will return to set things uh, right once and for all. The beauty is that our story has and always will be a part of God's story. That's that's the amazing part of what God has done, that he's allowed us to be somehow. And that Jesus is the hero of that story. Now, with the idea of our story being a part of God's larger story, we should say that God is actively present in and participating in our storyline. It's not like God just did his thing and then sat back and was like, I hope it all works out. But God is present. In fact, he promises his spirit. That His Spirit is going to be with us, guiding us, directing us, leading us, helping us point to Jesus as Jesus points to the Father. And so this means that every twist and turn of your story has value to God and to Story City. And that no one is too bad, too mad, or too far from God to matter to Him or to us. And so welcome. We're happy you're here. At the end of the service again, you'll hear the reminder of the next steps, uh, how you can connect with us. But I just want to point out, we do have a considerate meeting every month. And that consider meeting is one way to answer those questions and get that stuff, uh, you know, figure out, hey, what, what are you guys really about? That's a great place to ask those. It happens during first service uh, so that you can still go to the meeting and then come to church. It's a great place to learn more and ask questions. All right, speaking of questions, minute to mingle. What's one thing that you haven't pursued but want to? One thing you have not pursued but want to? What do you got? Salsa dancing. Salsa dancing. All right, right off the bat. I like it. I like it. And, and why have you not pursued that? I don't know. All right. What else? What else we got? A stunt driver. I like it. Why have you not pursued that? Yes. That's what makes it fun, Shawana. That's exactly what makes it desirable. Good. What else? What's one thing you've, you haven't pursued but you want to? No one has any pursuits. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Grandma's signature why haven't you? Um, I don't want it to not taste like her. Yeah, yeah, that is the fear, right? That is definitely the fear. What else? Anybody else? You want to pursue volleyball? Like you want to be a volleyball or you want to pursue volleyball as like playing? <laughs> okay, you want to be good at volleyball. Got it. Okay. All right. Why haven't you done that, Gavin? Yeah, so it's a, new, it's a newer one. Here's the interesting thing. I think all of us have pursuits that we would love to have accomplished, right? Uh, there's things that we want. Uh, but there's always an interesting reason why we haven't pursued those. Okay, so um, one of the things I've always wanted to pursue is my pilot's license. I want to be Gabe someday, right? Uh, I've, I've always wanted to fly, um, actually I want to fly helicopters, uh, there, there's this great moment in the military where we're flying around and there's like stuff squirting everywhere, and everybody starts panicking. And the guys go, "You don't panic until it stops squirting. That means we're out of something." Um, and from that moment on, <laughs> I was like, "I want to do this. This is amazing." Um, but I also want to pursue abs. You know why I don't? Because I really don't want it, right? I don't want to do the work required to get there. I want to do everything else, but abs hurt, <laughs> right? So I'm in the gym this morning, and I'm like, do I spend the extra couple? No, I'm just going to go to work a few minutes early, and I don't. So the truth is, I don't really want that. As much as I say I want to pursue it, the truth is I don't want it that much. And sometimes we have these excuses like, oh, it's money, it's time. We have time and money for everything we truly consider valuable. All right, we are talking about the pursuit of joy. In our last series, A Mentally Healthy Faith, Dr. Henry Cloud said, to change our thinking and behavior means we have to replace it with something healthy, with healthy uh, uh, thinking and behavior. And Romans 12:2 says that the the Holy Spirit helps us do that, that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. This renewal comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It helps us each and every day. And so throughout this series, we're going to understand and examine how the Spirit helps us pursue a heart and attitude of joy through the truth of scripture the truth of Scripture. We're replacing the things, the anxiety, the worry, the stress, the the concerns with how do we pursue joy. Now joy isn't like I'm just stupid happy. Joy is finding this place of of, um, fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose inside of all circumstances. Okay? So for those taking notes today, this is our big idea for the day. We've been talking about how we pursue joy, the things that we need to do. And today's big idea is we must pursue joy by pursuing unity. We must pursue joy by pursuing unity. We're going to see how we pursue unity in our shared purpose. That's kingdom citizenship. We pursue unity in our shared practice. That's kingdom mission. And we pursue unity in our shared process. That's our sanctification, which is just a big word meaning God is continuing to work in us. And so as we work our way through today's passage, I want us to consider, though, the meaning of the word pursue. To pursue something, according to the internet, which is never wrong, uh, means to chase, to hunt, to run after, to engage in. So here's what I want us to hear when we say we're pursuing joy or God is pursuing us or we're pursuing God. We're saying that we are chasing, hunting, running after, engaging in joy today by chasing, hunting, running after, and engaging in unity. That's what we're talking about. So whenever we hear that word pursue, I want us to envision or think chasing, hunting, running after, or engaging in. Got it? All right, good. Let's go back and remind ourselves of today's scripture that Hera read for us. I love that we got our translations back. It's so good. It's important to us to hear this in all the languages that the church has. There's so many different languages spoken here. We want to make sure we highlight that. So if you do speak a language, we would love for you to come and, uh, and to translate, uh, read scripture. It, it's just a picture of the, the true body of Christ. So, all right, that being said, uh, chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Just one thing. It's a big statement from Paul. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's just a small thing. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So Paul's imprisoned. He's under house arrest. As a reminder, he has to pay for all of it, food, all of that stuff. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, some historians believe by the wrist, 24 hours a day. At this point, he's awaiting trial. He does not know whether he's going to be executed or set free. And, uh, and so there's a lot going on. He's, he's trying to figure out how he's going to make it. He's, he's Got to figure out how to pay his bills while on house arrest. And the church in Philippi that he planted a number of years earlier sends a financial gift to cover his needs and to remind him that they care about him. And uh, he responds in incredible gratitude for their care and their generosity. But he also wants to ensure that they're set up in case he does get executed that they know to keep doing what they're doing because he knows that their kingdom work is more important than he is. In this final part of chapter 1, he continues the thought from verse 24 where he talks about their progress and their joy in the faith. And he writes that one thing, one thing is most important for them to focus on. He goes, hey, thanks for the gift. Thank you for everything you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing in case I don't come back to you. But listen, here's the one thing I want to make sure that you are focusing on. To live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. To live lives worthy of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's dive deeper into verse 27. We'll start with 27, and then we'll go on. For those taking notes, this is our first observation for the day. To pursue unity, we need to pursue unity in our shared purpose. In our shared purpose. Okay? That is kingdom citizenship. In our shared purpose. Paul starts off with this phrase, one thing. I love this. He's making sure we understand how important this is. This is like... Imagine this is the last words of a dying man. This is a deathbed sentence, right? You want to pay attention because he's saying, hey, this is the most important thing I can give you. And that's why he says, hey, one thing. This is what you need to be about. He's making certain, absolutely certain the church in Philippi and the church today understand. As commentators write, nothing else must distract or excuse them from this great objective. It must be, Paul is imploring them, it must be. They're all embracing occupation whether Paul is there or not. He's saying, look, even if I don't ever come back, you guys have to focus on this. This is that important. But then Paul makes a statement as citizens of heaven. As citizens of heaven. Now this is important because Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of heaven. You see, the gospel is that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. Because of the sin that we chose and the sin we were born into, we were dead spiritually and had no hope of waking ourselves. Nothing you can do on the morgue table to wake yourself up. But God does that. He rises, raises us from the dead to spiritual life. <coughs> but if God is a just God, it means that he can't just say, well, it's all good. That there has to be punishment for the crime. But he takes that punishment on himself in our stead, not wiping it out, but just taking it on himself. And so he, by doing that becomes a sacrifice that fulfilled the law's requirements that all rebellion and sin carried that death penalty. In taking that death penalty on himself and taking that in our place, Jesus ushered in this new kingdom where those who apprentice him as Lord and God and king over every aspect of their lives, who confess him above themselves, become citizens of this new kingdom. And are considered justified and righteous because of his name and his works, not our own. But see, God goes further. So not only does that penalty get paid and we get rescued, it's not like we start at zero and we're just sort of going, okay, how do I figure this out now? No, he actually goes farther than that. doesn't even leave us as slaves like we deserve. He adopts us into his family as sons and daughters. That's right, Shawana. Hallelujah. As sons and daughters, as we apprentice Jesus, Jesus through the Holy Spirit continues to restore our brokenness and make us more and more like the way that we are intended to be. Because all those who uh, are now apprenticing Jesus are adopted into God's family, that means they're brothers and sisters in the same family. That's why Christians are weird and say, hey brother, hey sister. Because that's what it is. It's still weird, but that's okay. So we become the church... When God brings a group of family members together for the same mission and the same purpose, what's that mission? To model God as family servant missionary. God is family. He's in communion with himself. He is triune. He is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is servant. He came as the humble servant and died in our place, taking on human nature. That's horrendous. The the condescension. He had to condescend to our level. But he does it. But again, he's the sent God, the God that comes after us, that pursues us. Jesus is sent. The Holy Spirit is sent. And so God himself is family servant missionary. That means that we must be family servant missionary. To show and teach others about Jesus. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To love God with everything we are and have. And to love our neighbors in the exact same way. So that's what it means to be citizens, family of the kingdom of God. Apprentices of Jesus are unified in our identity. We share the same identity now. That being unified in our identity then unites us in our purpose. If we share the same identity, we share the same family, then we should be about the same family mission. Look at the first part of verse 27 with me. Just one thing as citizens of heaven, so we've already talked about those two parts, now comes this phrase, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word that we translate as live your life is a word that means to live within both the rights and responsibilities of a civic of civic duties of government, okay? So um, Paul is speaking to a very Romanized uh, city. The church in Philippi uh, is a city that is that is not just under Roman control, but is thoroughly Roman in its identity. And so uh, all of the citizens of that culture, they, they fully participated in it, understand and live in this, this, uh, the contextualization of what it means to be Roman, right? Um, even the Jews who are there have to deal with this Romanization. They have to deal with, they're under the Roman government. And so all that that governance brings, Roman citizens took seriously. They took their duty to Rome seriously. Every one of them was expected to defend Rome at any time. If there was something happening that, that threatened their hometown, then, uh, their city, then every Roman citizen was expected to bear arms. All of them were expected to participate in government as they were able. They, this could be by serving. It could be by voting, right, holding office. But everyone was supposed to participate. And if you weren't, then you actually were not a member of society. You had to participate. And so, um, essentially, every citizen of Rome, especially those in Philippi, would have understood that they represented Rome, and that they made Rome what it was. They truly believed, right? Some of us get cynical, what does my vote matter? What do I do, right? We're not a political church, but what I'm saying is that they understood that they had a place to participate, and that their voice and their vote made something, it became a part of something that existed only because they were in it. And that's the exact same language that Paul is using here when he talks about this. He's using this citizen family. He's saying, look, you guys aren't just participating as citizens. But do you understand that as children of the living God, children of the king of kings, that you are children of the heads of state? Paul uses that word, we translate worthy, it's axios. It means as is befitting. And so Paul tells us we are to live in and participate in the kingdom of God in a manner that is befitting the royal children of the king. Yes. And. That is a lot of responsibility. Because the church then is the mini-representation of the kingdom of God. Now family, I don't have to tell you the church has been a very poor representation of the kingdom of God. And I'm talking about church as a whole, right? Big C Church, we have not done a good job of representing the kingdom of God. We fight with unks ourselves. We, we judge people who, have, who are not apprentices of Jesus and try to hold them to Christian standards. That makes no sense. We, we talk to people in condescending and mean ways. We, we, we don't welcome people the way that Jesus did. We, we try to uh, do like the Pharisees did and don't even want to be in places that, that, uh, so, that Jesus would have walked into. Many of us would have shunned Jesus for his actions Family as a church, we have to understand that we have to be a representation of God's kingdom. And that doesn't mean that means that whether you are apprenticing Jesus for the first time today or you've been apprenticing him for 50 years, every one of us carries the same standing and responsibility to represent God's kingdom well. And it's not easy to carry out, it doesn't come naturally to us. We don't drift towards grace, we don't drift towards love, we don't drift towards unity. Those are not natural things for us. We actually drift away from those things all the time. We have to be brought back to those things by the Holy Spirit and by the church. This is exactly why Paul makes such a big deal about community and how we learn and grow and serve together as we learn to love Jesus and people well. For those taking notes, this brings us to our second observation for today. We pursue unity in our shared practice. We pursue unity in our shared practice. Okay, so we have a common purpose now because of the identity that God has given us, but we now share unity in our shared practice, the way that we live it out. Look at our scripture again today. Paul begins with that idea of the shared purpose, but then it gives us practical ways to live out that shared purpose. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel Christ, of Christ, then... This is the result, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I'll hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit. How? One spirit, one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. So what does he say? He says we have to stand firm. And then we can't just stand firm, but we have to do it in one spirit, in one accord. That's not a Honda. Some people say that's how they knew the disciples. Drove Hondas, there was one accord. That's a terrible pastor joke. (laughs) Contending together, we'll just move on. Contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened. So what does this mean? Paul points out that as ambassadors, we're not hidden away, but actually on the front lines of the spiritual battle to see the kingdom of God expanded on earth. Did you know that God could clearly just expand his kingdom easily and quickly? Right? He's God. He could do whatever he wants. But God chooses not to. For some reason, God chooses to use the broken, the lowly, us. He chooses to use that which is flawed to expand his kingdom. And he's put his entire plan. There's no plan B. He's put his entire plan in the hands of the church and said, here you go. I want you to expand my kingdom. Be obedient. That seems like a very inefficient way to get things done. But God loves us enough. He allows us to participate in that, which means that we can't hide behind church walls, family. We can't hide behind created Christian culture. We can't create our own culture and be like, cool, we're separated so we don't get stained by it. That's not what God called us to do. And yet, what have we done? We say, God isn't in schools anymore. No, Christians are, are failing to be in schools in appropriate ways. We're saying, where is God and all this stuff? But we've created, we've created our own schools. We've created our own music. Don't get me started. <clears throat> you guys have heard me say this before. We have our own mints, testaments. <laughs> like, people, we've come to a place where we have separated ourselves. And, and I get it. It's out of fear, right? The more buffer that we can create between us and what possibly might tempt us or, 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 or keep us from sinning. There's a whole movie on that made called Footloose, right? <laughs> Dancing leads to premarital sex, so don't do it. It's terrible. <laughs> It's like we've missed the point. And the scary part is to be engaged in culture, to be there in the community in a way that it it, it exposes us. It exposes us to hardship, attack, suffering, temptation, all the things. And Jesus said, yeah, I get it. I get all the things. That's why you have to be there. What you're in, Stott, right? Paul had himself found Philippi, a place of suffering, And in general, the apostolic church was a church under fire. The reminder to be unyielding was therefore timely. The worthy life then is not a thing hidden away in fear or false virtue. It is exposed and vulnerable. Paul is saying this, My objective for you is that you live worthily of the gospel. Whether present or absent, then I look for the same news, that you are standing firm under attack. But remember this, standing firm under attack while it requires stern resolution on the part of each individual is a corporate matter, an activity of the fellowship. Steadfastness requires your unity to spirit and soul, your cooperative battling for the faith you hold in common. Steadfastness is thus grounded in unity. We do it together. None of us is going to get this right. But coming together gives us strength. I'll tell you this, when I was in the military... Uh, I hate to run. I don't know if any of you guys love running. There's, I'll pray for your salvation. Um, I think running should be a sin, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, but here's the thing. If I try to run by myself, like, it's, it's slow, it's terrible, and I don't get very far. But you put me with a group of Marines running, and, uh, man, I tell you what, I got to run eight miles with those guys right now. Totally out of shape. Not even able to, like, I would just go, right? Because it's a part of something that happens You're singing together. There's this, like, I'm not going to fail the guy around me. Something happens when we're in a group. We go farther and faster than we ever could have than we were by ourselves. There's something to that. And so part of how we stand firm, part of how we we live our lives out, part of how we um, have this unity is that we have to have, first and foremost, this operation comes not out of our own strength. It can't. It has to come out of complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us the Holy Spirit would lead and guide and empower his church um, to, to point to Jesus as he glorified the Father. We see this in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. He says in Ephesians two eighteen to 22 For through him we both have access in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the, the saints. There's where we get that one of the places we get it, and members of God's household. We're now citizen family. This is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. And so Paul says we're able to stand firm through the Spirit, not because of our own ability or righteousness, but because of our standing with God as citizens and family members. And see, in that identity, we find the ability and and, and we get to exercise our unity, our strength, and our purpose out of the power of the Holy Spirit, not of our own effort. Next, Paul uses that phrase of one accord. The word accord is actually better translated mind. It is the Greek word psyche, which means the center of the mind, consciousness, thought, feeling, and inner self. It relates to what we think and how we feel and how we respond. And so Paul is saying, look, we stand firm as is befitting of citizens of the kingdom of heaven by the power of the spirit in perfect unity as we struggle. See, the idea here is the church is so unified that we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, that we would meet needs and care for one another, not as if with pity, but as if we experienced those highs and lows ourselves. That we're so unified in purpose and practice that it's as if the church was one person. Paul is calling us. This isn't a new idea, though. Paul is calling us back to exactly where the church started. Luke records this in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common. With great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Now, as a point of clarity, they're not selling every possession they own and living in a commune. That's not what this is. What's happening is, uh, we know that because later it says they were meeting house to house as they did their small groups. Okay? So that's not, not, uh, it doesn't mean they sold everything that was there. What they mean is that they were viewing everything they had as belonging to God and anything extra that they had or anything they wanted to be generous with, that's what they sold to care for those so that no one was need in need. An extra piece of property, would sell it and bring the money to the church, and they would care for those who didn't have enough. Someone needs a place to stay. Their houses were open. Come, whatever you need. You need food? We'll do meals will care for you. And it wasn't just like, I'll do a one-time thing and then it's inconvenient. It was, how do I continually look for ways to care for the church, to care for people that are in need? How do we care for the people around us? And that was the attitude that the entire church had. They were generous in every part of what they did. It's the attitude Paul is imploring the church in Philippi to have and the one he's imploring us to have as well. To be of one mind in their purpose and in their practice. But he also gives them direction in the unity. He says that they do this to be contending together for the faith of the gospel. To be contending together for the faith of the gospel. What does that mean? It means working to fulfill our responsibilities as citizens' family members. To advance the kingdom and spread the gospel as we go about our daily lives. Just as Jesus commissioned us to in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, go therefore, the the verb is actually as you're going. As you are going where God has already placed you, as you do your daily life, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We get to do that after second service today, yes. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. This idea, as what you're in st- stay, is contending for the faith of the gospel means the church is fulfilling the Great Commission as Jesus called us to, but also it means that the church is unified in its understanding of doctrine and the gospel and its ability to share that gospel in a way that brings people into the kingdom, not pushes them away from the kingdom. We're ambassadors to the kingdom of God. Paul ends this part of the section in verse, verse 28. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, of your salvation, and this is from God. The word used to, to, uh, to translate here as frightened uh, can denote like horses frightened into stampede. It's a complete collapse into panic under pressure. Now, Paul here is giving them hope. He says, or O'Brien writes, the Philippian opponents tried to throw them in a panic or strike terror in their hearts. If, however... The believers stand firm as one congregation and one heart and one mind that at no point should they be intimidated by their adversaries. By showing their faithfulness and unity, the church in Philippi is showing their allegiance to God. By attacking the church, these adversaries show their opposition not to the church in Philippi, but to the kingdom of God and God himself. Okay, so we fight for joy by pursuing unity. We find unity in our shared purpose. That's our kingdom citizenship. We find unity in our shared practice. That's kingdom mission. But for those taking notes today, the last part of what we need to pursue is this. That we pursue unity in our shared process. We pursue unity in our shared process. So in our purpose, in our practice, and in our process. Let's look at the final two verses for today. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now here I have. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us clearly that we couldn't do anything to earn our salvation. But what is salvation? Salvation doesn't just mean not going to hell. Right? That would be a pretty uh, disastrous gospel if all that it was was, okay, now you don't go to hell. But then what about the rest of our lives? Where does the gospel speak to that? If that was the entirety of the Bible, that, that would be, again, disappointing. But if the gospel is that God is continually restoring and renewing, the Bible says that we are sustained in Christ constantly, that he is constantly sustaining us, renewing us, restoring us, that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved someday. The gospel is relevant right here. That means that being saved is a summation of all the blessings, rights, privileges, promises, hope, character, and endurance, especially through suffering then the gospel is the continual grace we need to be sustained in both our salvation and our sanctification that's being made right. Paul says you aren't just given salvation. You are given that. But you're given the Holy Spirit and the church to endure and grow as you stand firm in your mission. You're not alone. And then Paul reminds them that's exactly what he's doing in his jail cell. I want to remind you of this word pursue, right? Pursuing something means to chase, to hunt, to run after, to engage in. And today we've learned that we must pursue joy by pursuing unity. That we pursue unity in our shared purpose. We sh- pursue unity in our shared practice. But we pursue unity also in our shared process. So what does it look like practically? Living out our identity as Citizens and family of God means working to fulfill our responsibilities. Each of us has a mission. We have to be on it to advance and spread the kingdom of God as we go about our daily lives. Jesus said that's what we're supposed to do. It doesn't come from some church being like you need to work harder. This isn't about working hard for your faith. Right? The faith is given to us. Grace is given to us. It's not that. What he's saying is, is that I've given you a task, a mission, a job that as my children you're already in. But as my children, you have a job now to expand the kingdom, to share the gospel of Jesus, to teach people what it means to love and obey Jesus, to be a good model, a good representation of him. The number one thing, church, we have to do to share the gospel is not be weird. Start with that. But we learn how to do it together. It means sharing our joys. It means sharing our sorrows. Sharing each other's burdens. We've talked about this. If you're in the industry right now, we understand you're hurting as we get longer and longer into these strikes. These are hard. This is why we're asking people to give to the congregation assistance fund so the church can use 100% of that to care for the people who have needs in this church. It's happening right now. People are giving. People are receiving. We need that, and we need to continue to take care of our people. It looks like a church that is inconveniently generous with their time, our money, and ourselves. It looks like a church that understands and shares the gospel as it stands unified from attack from the things that stand against the kingdom of God. This is exactly how we live out the gospel today. Does that make sense? Good, let's pray. God, you are amazing. I thank you that your love for us is not based on how good we do or don't do what you've called us to. That your love, your acceptance, your forgiveness, your welcoming us into your kingdom is based on you and who you are. But I thank you that you don't just leave us. That you give us a task. You give us mission. You tell us that we have to love you with everything we are and have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That we are to promote your kingdom by the way that we love people around us. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to love those that you love. Again, there's 35 million people who don't know you in California. God, make our hearts break for those that don't. Show us how to love them well to create a place they can belong before they believe that you might be glorified in Jesus' name.